Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for VCU basketball. Game day tonight at St. Louis. Pre-game coverage starts right here on 910 The Fan at 6.15 before I hand it off to Robbie Robinson and Rodney Ashby, who's booked to join us today at 2 p.m. from St. Louis. We've got the return of play to win all week long. Stubb puts together the best audio highlights from the sports world this week. We bring that to you live here at 2.15. Then we'll go around the NBA with Chris Miles ahead of the all-star festivities this weekend in Indy at 2.30. But the new rule on 910 The Fan on Fridays, we roll. Broadcasting live from River City Roll here in Scott's Edition. Got a very special guest joining me right now, the head mechanic and facility manager here at River City Roll, Ken Dish. What's going on, Ken? Oh, not much. So I gotta I gotta admit to the audience here, you've been my secret sauce behind the scenes. You're the you're a big part of the reason why I took down Michael Phillips. You saw that. Uh Stubb, he's been giving me advice behind the scenes. The first thing you said was I was chicken winging too often, right? That is correct. You were throwing a super chicken wing. <laughs> Explain that to the audience a little bit. Uh basically if you throw your elbow out, you're actually throwing the ball the direction your elbow is going down the lane. Yeah. So if you keep your elbow down, you throw the ball straighter. So that's right, chicken wing. It goes all over the place. That's correct. <laughs> it's almost the same thing as in when you're shooting pool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the second thing you told me to do was to line up with the dots. And I, I loved your explanation for that. So why don't you explain that real quick? Well, here, the shot, I know what the shot is. I know where you need to throw the ball. So when you normally bowl in a, a tournament or a league, uh, you kind of read the lane. You got to know what your equipment is doing. But here, you're throwing a house ball. I knew about where to put you. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to your advice, I took down Michael Phillips. So uh, we had you on the show today because I've been I've been wanting to bring you on because I love how every time I'm here on Friday, you're kind of you know walking around, taking care of the facility, and peeking in to make sure that I'm not screwing up, having too many gutter balls. You've been giving me some advice here, and you actually mentioned that you're going to participate in a big tournament. Correct, correct. So yeah. this is the 2024 Amateur Nationals from Vegas. Correct. All right, so. First place gets $30,000. How many people are going to be in this competition here? Well, about 1,500. About 1,500 people, okay. Th- throughout the week. And so you fly in next week for this competition. Correct. I fly on Tuesday. Um, the tournament starts on Monday, but you have all week to qualify. Okay. Uh, I will actually start bowling on Thursday. All right, so what's it going to take for you to qualify? Depends on the shot. Yeah. Uh, they put out a sport pattern, and it's pretty difficult, and you have to make your spares. Right. So if you make your spares and throw a strike every now and then, yeah, chances are good. What would you say that your you know your average score is when you bowl? As in this area, in yeah. Richmond, mm-hmm. I'm a two forty average bowler. Two forty. Okay. So when you take it to Vegas, what what are you thinking you need to get at? Oh, you need to be probably about a two fifteen would be good. Okay. Two fifteen. Two fifteen would advance you, and then so how will and it works? What's the next round like? Well, you qualify during the week, and then Sunday you come to the finals, uh-huh. and then they put five people on your pair okay. in your division, and they take the top two. And then you just keep on bowling until there's only two left. Gotcha. And they will bowl, and then that winner will go to the finals. To compete for 30000 Correct. So are you guys, all five of you, at the same lane? Yes. So basically, you're kind of watching the competition right in front of you. Oh yeah, everybody's standing there looking at you. Is there smack talking in bowling? No, no, not in this. No, okay, no, no. This is pretty clean, almost like PBA. 
Okay. Atmosphere. Okay. Yeah, everybody's quiet. Okay. Yeah. So what do you do to you know psych yourself up in getting prepared uh, prepared for this tournament here? Uh, I just try not to think too much. Yeah. Stay clean, and um, just keep calm. Yeah. You, know, you get too excited, you'll throw the ball too hard or make <laughs> mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. So we're joined by Ken Dish here who at River City Rollers, the head mechanic and facility manager who's going to be heading to Vegas for a huge bowling tournament. And so each Friday when I'm here, uh, Ken has been giving me advice. And so I, I said, I've got to get you on the show here to hype up this tournament. And so second place, what is it, $12,000 for second place? Yes, or something? So this is like, this is a pretty big prize here. Oh, yeah. How many tournaments have you competed in? Um, I do the tat tournament twice a year. Okay. Uh, the uh, next one's in July, and then also bowl nationals. Um, that's usually Vegas or Reno, um, and then tournaments just around the area. And you were telling me you've cashed before in these tournaments. Yes. So how does that work? How much have you collected? Um, I think I've gone up to eight hundred bucks. Wow. Yeah. So it's <laughs> once you get the match play, you get extra hundred bucks each one, or extra hundred fifty bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, depends on the entries, but uh, the more. The further you go, the more money you make. So ten frames in a, in a round, you bowl the ball twice, and then what is it? So how many rolls is it overall? Like twenty two rolls when you count all ten frames plus the the well, final, you, right? Well, you got twelve strikes for the three hundred, so okay, twenty four, yeah, okay, so, twenty three, correct, yeah. So over the course of the week, how many times do you think you're gonna roll? Uh, I'm in five squads, so five times three, yeah. So and then uh, they have also a, a what they call a VIP two game sweeper. Okay. You bowl two games, they take your highest score, and you can cash in your division. So there's there's plenty of ways to make money while you're out there. Yeah, but you're doing a lot of bowling. I'm sure your arm's going to get tired eventually. Let's hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I love how you were explaining to me your your technique for putting your fingers in the in the bowl, right? So exact. There's two different styles, right? Conventional. Explain this. Yeah. Yeah, it's conventional and fingertip. Conventional is when you're putting your whole finger in the ball. And then fingertip was where you're only just using the tips of your fingers. Mm -hmm. So, and that's where people create their their rev rate or their hook. Do you feel like you've seen most of the combinations out there in terms of what a split is like? You know, the seven ten split and all the. Do you feel like you've you've rolled most of those combinations before? Oh yeah. Oh, so give absolutely. us give us a few of the hardest ones to hit. Seven ten is definitely the hardest. Okay. Uh, I've made it twice in my life. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you remember it? Oh yes, I do remember <laughs> my first one. <laughs> yep. And nobody was watching, and I threw it and picked it up, and they were like, uh. We gotta fix the score. I said, "No, I picked it up." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see, five, seven, ten is very hard okay. to pick up. Um, I've left it maybe once or twice in my life. You don't leave five, seven, ten with a bunch of your friends hanging around because they will take a picture of it and put it on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you were explaining to me that part of this tournament in Vegas, I believe, there's going to be like a, a nine-pin competition. Yep, nine-pin no-tap. Nine-pin no-tap. What does that mean? Um, basically, if you get nine or better, it's a strike. So so you hit nine, you get a strike. You hit a strike, you get a strike. So basically, they put about 12 guys on a pair, and the first one that stops throwing nine or better, or the first one, I'm sorry, the first one that throws nine or better and the last man standing wins. So you don't even have to hit a strike to win that one. You just have to keep knocking down nine pins. That's all you got to do. I feel like that, that'd be for me because, I, like, when I was going against Michael, I had, like, three straight nines. Like, oh, yeah. I just can't hit the strike. That was a good match. It, right? <laughs> Wasn't it a ton of fun? I, I think the audience enjoyed it, too. So you've seen me bowl a little bit here. 
kind of break down what you think of my skill to to the uh, audience. I think what we need to do eventually, you need to get your own ball, okay, with your own fingers because yeah. it, it'll feel so much more comfortable in your hand, uh-huh. and your really re- your release would be so much better. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I probably feel most comfortable with like the twelve pound ball. I was now. I was kind of making fun of Michael for using the eight pound. What did you think of that? <laughs> yeah, that's fun. <laughs> right? I mean, come on now. He deserved to be clowned for that. He's yeah, his his ball was reflecting every time he hit the pins. <laughs> it was just going ding. <laughs> oh man, we Stub, we got to get you down here to River City Roll. When was the last time you went bowling, Stub? Do you um, know? Maybe three to four years. Oh okay. no, I did once. I did once two years ago. If okay, I but you claim to feel like you you've got some skill. I do. Yeah. I, I tend to get a little bit too confident in things I'm not very good at. <laughs> well, see, I like that part. I like yeah. people when they get confident. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, we appreciate you stopping by. We want to wish you the best of luck in Vegas. So uh, if, if people want to follow along, is this going to be something that will be you know, on social media? Will any of it be televised? Yeah, it's actually online. Okay. And you can see the results up to Sunday. Okay. And then Sunday they do a live stream oh. of, of the finals. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so everybody follow Ken to see him from Richmond, Virginia here competing in the 2024 Amateur National Bowling Tournament in Vegas. Do you know what uh, hotel you're going to be staying at? Yeah, uh, the tournament's at the Gold Coast, so I'll okay. be there at the Gold Coast. The okay, hotel. cool. Yeah. So I just got back from Vegas last week. I was at the Luxor for um, Super Bowl Radio Row. Oh, goodness. It was a ton of fun. I went to see uh, U2 at the Sphere. It was it was like you were on acid. Like it was the craziest thing ever. The visuals are everywhere. Bono's putting on a show, but it, it was two hundred and eighty dollars. But it was worth the money. Really? I mean, I'll just say that right now. Uh, but hey, man, have a great trip. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Give us, uh, give us a little, um, you know, a little teaser here. How you think you're gonna do? I'm definitely gonna qualify. Oh, really? Yeah. So you'll you'll be five hundred dollars richer when I see you next Friday. At least. <laughs> At least. <laughs> Um, and then after that, it's uh, luck of the draw. Yeah. Like, depends who I get matched up to get to, to bowl against. I love that. Do you ever give lessons? Yeah. I mean, that's how I learn by asking people. Yeah. And I have no problem with anybody asking me. And if I got some advice, I can help them out. I there will. we go. Yeah. So you got another reason to come on down to River City Roll here in Scott's Edition. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio on the fan. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open throughout the show, 833-804-0910, Or you can tweet us your thoughts. If it's a good tweet, we'll read it on air at 910 The Fan or at AWOD Radio. But we do have some NFL breaking news. Breaking news on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, powered by Odyssey, is brought to you by BetQL. Adam Schefter of ESPN reports Raiders quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo is being suspended by the NFL for violating the league's performance-enhancing substances policy. According to Schefter, Garoppolo's violation is related to him using prescribed medication without having a valid exemption for it. He is not expected to appeal the suspension. It's a two-game suspension for the 2024-2025 season. The 32-year-old former second-round pick of the Patriots is expected to be released by the Vegas Raiders. So earlier today, you had the Seahawks committing to Geno Smith for next year, and with today's breaking news about Garoppolo, the Raiders are expected to move on from the veteran quarterback. That's breaking news here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. 
Spend your afternoons with Adam Epstein. The 2023 Commanders are the intimidator at King's Dominion. They're up and down. They've got twists and turns. They're rocking and they're rolling. They're good and then they're awful. I love Wad Radio. Anything is possible! He's still cool. (laughs) Stop! Hang up on this fool! (laughs) On Sports Radio 910 The Fan and 105.1 FM. All right, welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio on the fan. As the NFL is the only league in all of the sports world that just never sleeps, right? The Super Bowl was this past Sunday. The Chiefs had their parade. And now you've got reports coming out about different quarterbacks on the move and some that are staying. Seahawks choosing to roll with Jimmy uh, to roll with Geno Smith next year. Jimmy Garoppolo suspended for two games is not expected to be back in Las Vegas next season. We'll go around the NFL at 1:45 today here on NFL Hits. But joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, talk a little Hokies. It's David Cunningham. What's going on, David? Nothing much, Adam. Just uh, covering a really, really good basketball team right now. How are you? I'm doing good, man. So why don't you set the scene for us, paint a picture of what it was like last night. I believe it was a sold-out crowd. Yeah, Virginia Tech women's basketball, 12th in the country at the moment. Tech's won eight straight games after last night's win over Duke, and that was the fourth regular season sellout this season. In the previous 47 years of the program, the Hokies never sold out a regular season game. And they've sold out four already this year. The North Carolina game on Senior Day, which is next Sunday, is also sold out. This program is in the best place possible right now. Part of that is probably because of the ACC championship last season, of course, and the Final Four appearance. But Tech is rolling. Tech is a really, really good basketball team. It was a gritty uh, win that was very choppy. Um, you know, Duke Duke is a very good defensive team, plays a very aggressive style. Um, but the Hokies kind of weathered the storm, and they won their eighth straight game. They're at the top of the ACC right now at twelve and two, a game ahead of Syracuse. They're in an, a fantastic place. The NCAA tournament committee announced yesterday, uh, about six o'clock last night, that Virginia Tech would be a number three seed in the NCAA tournament if the season was to end today, which means Tech would host an NCAA tournament regional. So all things trending in the right direction for that program at the moment. David Cunningham with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline covering all things Hokies for Tech Sideline. The big question I did want to ask you, what would you say the chances are right now Elizabeth Kitley could win ACC Player of the Year again? Uh, Adam, you know, it's funny you, you say that because I think it's hard to find somebody that's better. I think Hannah Hildalgo from Notre Dame is probably the the one that would would give her the biggest shot. Hidalgo has, seen, I believe, has won like eleven ACC Rookie of the Year awards or, week, or Rookie of the Week awards. Excuse me, this year, um, she she's phenomenal. But Elizabeth Kitley just casually posted her seventh thirty point game of the season. Six of those have been thirty point double doubles. Uh, Alexa Filippo of ESPN tweeted last night that that is the most in Division One basketball this season and the fourth most in the last decade. And we're talking 30-point double-doubles. Like, she is an elite player, and she's even better than last year. Um, she she would be the fifth men or woman to win three consecutive ACC Player of the Year awards. I think she's got a great shot. Two of the, the men's names that everyone knows, 
Ralph Sampson and David Robinson. That's kind of the elite <laughs> company she has an opportunity to join. Yeah, and she just makes it look so easy. You know, I was watching the game last night, and she barely missed a shot. I think she finished 13 of 17 in the game, but in the first half she was unstoppable uh, for most part there. And, and really what's so impressive is, you know, she just has that turnaround jump shot, and they kept talking about this on the broadcast – by the time she releases it, it's about six and a half feet in the air. It's almost unblockable. Yeah, it's interesting because it was actually against Duke last season. It was the loss that sparked Virginia Tech's uh, deep right. run into the NCAA tournament. The Hokies did not lose for 15 straight games after losing to Duke in January. Funny enough, Tech lost to Duke back in January of this year and has won eight straight games since. But last year at Duke was really a turning point, I think, in Elizabeth Kitley's career. She had been playing very, very well to that point. She already had one ACC Player of the Year award under her belt. Already one of the best players in the country. But what that game did afterwards, because of the way Duke defended her, Kenny Brooks started putting her in different positions. They started dragging her around and getting her towards the baseline or towards the elbow, away from the basket more to get her more favorable matchups, put her in positions where teams can't double-team. And, of course, they've continued to work on her fadeaway, which, like you said, is nearly unguardable. She catches the ball and spins away. You don't know if she's going to her left shoulder or to her right shoulder. Fades away, pulls back to where she has so much space in between her and the defender, and she's so comfortable with that shot. So you combine that with the way that the Hokies have have moved her, around, moved her around on the floor, getting her, whether it's a, a 15-foot jumper on the baseline or whether it's kind of towards the elbow, she's comfortable everywhere. She's so efficient. Like you said, 13 of 17 last night. And the crazy thing is, she mentioned it last night, she scored 34 points like that, but that was one of her lowest field goal outputs of the season. Usually she attempts more. That was just kind of the game it was. To be able to score 34 points on, on 13 shooting, it's crazy that, you know, I know obviously the national buzz right now in women's basketball is about Caitlin Clark, as it should be, breaking the all-time scoring record. But one of the tweets that stood out to me last night was was somebody who covers, you know, women's basketball nationally for The Athletic tweeted that, you know, maybe the most impressive game of the night was Elizabeth Kitley, who scored 34 points on 17 shots in a game that Virginia Tech only scored 61 points. She's just that Good. She's so, so difficult to guard. And, Adam, I think the most impressive play last night was after scoring all of those points, she made the one pass that she needed to make at the end of the game. She hit Georgia Amor when she was double-teamed at the top of the key, knocked down a three, iced the game. Yeah. No, no, you're right. I mean, Caitlin Clark's terrific, but I do wonder if, if Caitlin Clark, you know, had already gone pro, how much national attention Elizabeth Kitley would be getting. I mean, I think most people would agree she's been much better than Angel Reese this season. And you're right, 17 shots to score 34 points. I mean, that's just that, that's something Kobe Bryant would do. That's how impressive it was. And George Amor didn't have a great night, but came out clutch when it mattered. How do you feel like she's improved throughout the course of this season? I think she's been good. Uh, th this was a, a weird off night for, for Georgia Amor. She was only 4 of 21. She's controlled the pace well in this winning streak. You know, she missed, uh, last game I should say, against Duke uh, back on January 18th. She went out with a head injury. She got kicked in the head, elbowed in the head, and missed the following game. 
she came back on a tear. Um, and I think she's, she was playing with a better confidence, especially in those first five, six games. Um, she, she has really paced Virginia Tech. And by that, I mean the way she has run the offense and settled Tech down, she's playing more under control for the most part. Now, there were some times last night because Duke is one of the best defenses in the country, according to the Master Ratings. Duke is number two in defense. That what they did to Georgia Amor was, was really – stifle her at the point of the attack and, and ice ball screens and make it really, really difficult for her to get downhill at all. And I think that kind of threw her off, got her out of rhythm. But the most important thing is that she's a gamer. She's a winner. We saw that last year. We've seen it her whole career, um, specifically when she went and won the, the regional MVP uh, in Seattle after leading Virginia, helping Virginia Tech to the, to the Final Four and that Elite Eight win over Ohio State. Like Georgia Amor is an elite player, an elite gamer, and she came up clutch when needed. She was three of twenty from the floor, but her ability to brush that off, not think about it, and knock down a three at the top of the key to to seal the win last night. I think that tells you all you need to know about her. She's been really, really good this season. I think she's been much better, much more improved, and she and Elizabeth Kitley, you know, they're maybe the best duo in the country. And that's why Virginia Tech is right there knocking on the door outside the top 10 and at the top of the ACC. And Tech has won eight straight games for a reason. This duo is playing so well. We talked about Kitley. Georgia Amor has been just as phenomenal. It was not necessarily her night last night, but that didn't stop her from, from knocking on the shot when needed. Yeah, and the Hokies still have two more ranked opponents on the schedule. I mean, uh, if they win out the ACC regular season here, and then you know we'll see what happens in the ACC tournament, I could see them moving up to a one seed. Do you think that's out of the hand? I, I do not. What's crazy, Adam, is last year, Virginia Tech women's basketball, in this it, around this time, it, Tech was about 11th, 12th in the net rankings, uh, in, in the projections, in the AP poll. Um, I believe Tech kind of, after it beat NC State the second time last year, it leaked into the top 10. Right. But, Virginia Tech had not been getting this this attention really even for like a top two seed. You know, Tech was like kind of on the two three line. That's what people were were, were saying. Virginia Tech swept the rest of the regular season, rolled through its top twenty five schedule, and then went down to, to Greensboro in the ACC tournament and won it and beat two three other top twenty five teams to get there and. All of a sudden, I remember walking into the post-game press conference after Virginia Tech won the AC championship, and Charlie Cream of ESPN updated his bracketology and had Virginia Tech as a number one seed. And it, it happened so suddenly, and I would not be shocked at all if this team could continue to win, that it would happen this year. Now, I don't expect it to, because this is a very, very tough league, the best in the country. Uh, Virginia Tech is on a roll right now, though, and, and it would not would not shock me at all. It's hard to go back to back in the ACC tournament, but the Hokies have Louisville on Sunday. That is a big one, first time playing since the ACC championship game last year. And then they, then they've got North Carolina at home, and then they've got Notre Dame on the road, and then they close with Virginia. It's not an easy stretch by any means. They're only at home once. And then they go down to Greensboro, and they have to go try to win the ACC championship again. And they've got this target on their backs. But it would not shock me at all if they were able to pull it off. It would not be a surprise to me at all if they did and if they ended up being in that conversation for number one seed. Because, honestly, last year when it happened, it, it was so surreal 
because Virginia Tech had not been in that conversation all year. All of a sudden, Tech goes on this win streak, boom, right there in that conversation. So I think the Hokies have a really good chance. They just have to keep winning, and, and people will start to pay more attention. David, great stuff, man. We appreciate it. Follow David Cunningham on Twitter, the real D. Cunna, and then f- read his work online, techsideline.com. Thanks a lot, dude. Appreciate it, Adam. Talk to you soon. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, my sports tilt of the week is coming up next on The Fan. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for the Flying Squirrels, VCU Hoops, the Commanders, UVA, Virginia Tech, the Nats, the Caps, the Wizards, and more and we are live and local here monday through friday from 12 to 3 p.m broadcasting live today from river city roll in scott's edition got frank maloney from who's talking hanging out with us and joining us right now on the hadid mercer rug cleaning hotline assistant coach for uva men's basketball jason williford what's going on coach how's it going guys how you doing good jason good to get you back on the show how would you say this team has improved throughout the course of the season um, we've gotten better defensively, uh, <laughs> other than Pitt the other night. Um, <laughs> but I thought I thought our defense um, has started to to resemble what some other UVA defensive teams uh, have done uh, over the course of the, of the season. And obviously, when we make threes and we're we're shooting the ball well, um, that helps. Um, you know, McNeely. Jake Groves, Reese Beekman scoring the ball for us have been been good. So I, I think that's what what has happened, especially during that run uh, where we won eight straight. Uh, we were playing better defensively, and and you know we were scoring the ball. Yeah, and Jason, you know I've been impressed with Reese Beekman's ability to kind of change his role for this season. You know, Kia Clark was was forever the point guard of UVA. Now Beekman's been doing a lot of the point guard duties. Six assists per game, 14 points. How have you been impressed by his ability to change the role? No, I, th- I mean, it's just natural uh, that he, he gets better each year. That's the evolution of a good player. Um, and, you know, we need him to be that. We needed him to to step into that role, um, and and I'm glad he's been able to do that, especially offensively. You know, the assist and the defense have always been there, but his ability to now, you know, score, get to the free throw line, make free throws, um, you know, that's just a plus for this group. UVA men's basketball assistant coach Jason Williford with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Hey, Jason, this is Frank. I'm wondering... You know, in the development of Jordan Minor and Blake Buchanan and uh, Minor starting with Buchanan coming off the bench, that seems to be clicking pretty nicely. Um, I know you're heavily involved in that. Talk talk to us a little bit about that development. Yeah, you know, it, you know, early on, Jordan just it, it was a huge adjustment for him having played at Mary Mack and in four years of playing zone. And if you guys know, Tony's always talking about being continuous, especially defensively. And so I, I think it was a huge adjustment for Jordan in regards to, you know, playing the way we like to play defensively. And so Blake
State got minutes early. He was very good against Florida. But Jordan's experience was ultimately um, going to take over in his physicality. And I think it's allowed uh, Blake to, um, you know, not not be uh, thrust into a role that he wasn't ready for. Um, and so Jordan um, has, has anchored us. You know, he's a solid screener, very good defender. And then Blake can come in and give us that energy uh, and that hustle that, that he brings as a first-year guy uh, with, with not having so much pressure on him early. I'd like to address that with you. To me, Blake Buchanan has is breathing now. He's catching the ball cleanly. He's finishing typically on the move, and he's putting it right in the square and putting it in the basket. And all the rest of his play, his defense, everything, it's like he's a different player. And yeah. I, I think it's because the, the the spotlight isn't on him at opening tip. Like, go ahead, be be the kid that starred in high school, right? Well, yeah, and 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 I think that was a whole lot early. Um, and and you know, we were still trying to find our way. But yes, he you know he can watch, he can see the the flow of the game kind of understand what it, what's required of him when he gets in there um and it, and it has it's it's taken a lot of the pressure off of him um and that was the that's what we had thought initially um when we recruited him you know we he wasn't necessarily gonna have to come in and start there was some big guys ahead of him obviously circumstances change um but Jordan has allowed him um the ability to to watch the game be be less stressed <laughs> um and Jordan's experience you know that experience that physicality I mean Jordan's played four years of college ball so um ultimately um it just was a matter of time before he got in in the lineup you're listening to 910 the fan now at 105 one fm Jason Williford assistant coach for UVA hoops with us here on the hotline UVA number 21 in the country 19 and 6 third in the ACC, but had the longest home winning streak in the, home winning streak in the country. How have you guys kind of talked to, as a group in the locker room, you know, about bouncing back from that defeat with a tough game tomorrow at noon? Yeah, we we've got to bounce back. I mean, these games are, are coming fast and furious. We you know we got Wake tomorrow, uh, Monday we're at Virginia Tech. So yeah. Um, you got to you got to take them one game at a time. Obviously, we would have loved to keep the streaks going, um, but I, I, you know, it's a very good pit team. We lost to um, four guys that can really score the ball, um, and and so you know, we Wake presents a different problem. We we got to put Pitt behind us, learn from that, lick our wounds, but be ready to to come back and and um, noon start tomorrow, early start. Um, we we got a very good Wake Forest team. Uh, you know they they've got guys that can put the ball in the bucket. Um, they got rim protection, uh, so it'll be a different type of challenge. Jason, sophomore Isaac McNeely averaging twelve point five points per game, but shooting almost fifty percent from three, forty seven point three percent. When a guy's shooting that good from three, how tough is it to design plays for him to get open looks when you know he's on everyone's scouting report? Yeah, you know, we're, we're going to continue to screen for him. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think as 
he gets older and his game matures, he'll he'll figure out that all right, they're taking away the three. I've got to get to the basket, uh, maybe finish a couple pull-ups, couple floaters, get to the free throw line, get fouled. You know, they're going to run them off the line. So um, constantly just working on those things, getting better in, in at those areas, but also just keep shooting the three. When you're open, let it fly. Um, we've got to keep getting them shots, keep, keep screening for them. You know, uh, Jason, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting looking at how this schedule is playing out right now. I mean, Virginia, uh, you know, had the eight-game win streak. Then they had the, the rough game at home on Tuesday against Pitt. Then they host Wake tomorrow, which is a, a huge game uh, in the standings and so forth. Then you've got to travel down to Blacksburg on Monday. That's a quick turnaround. Then the following Saturday, the Tar Heels come to Charlottesville. And it doesn't get any easier. Then you travel to Chestnut Hill to play BC. You go to Durham to play the Dukies. And then you're home to wrap up the season, Georgia Tech. There's a lot of opportunities on the schedule, too, yes, though. Yes, there's there's some chances to, to grab some wins. But there's also some games who you know they're just going to be dogfights. I mean, you just named a ton of games uh, that – that have given us problems, you know. Yes. At Virginia Tech, roll out records, you know, they're going to be ready for us. Um, we got to go in there. BC's been a headache playing up there. Yep. Obviously, at Duke's, always hard. Then you get the Tar Heels. Um, Matt, Georgia Tech, young, talented team. You know, every night in the ACC is tough. I don't get the national narrative. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in, in what folks are constantly saying about the league being down. I disagree. Yeah. I, I think you've got to be ready to play every night. Anyone can get you. Um, they're very good players and coaches. Um, going on the roads always tough. So we've got our work cut, cut out. Um, but, but we've got to take them one game at a time, one practice at a time. I know it's coach talk. But it really is. It's it's learn from from both losses and wins. Move on um, and just put the best product you can on the floor each time. You know what's exciting though, Jason, is uh, the ACC now is front and center. Everybody's watching the ACC, and the proof is in the pudding. I think the conference has always stood tall at the end of the day. And this is no different this season. And I feel like the ACC will get at least six teams in, and they will do damage in the NCAA tournament. And Virginia is one of them. And thank you for all that you've done for the Cavaliers. Well, listen, I appreciate that. And, and from your lips to God's ears, I hope that Virginia <laughs> gets in and, <laughs> and, we, and we move in advance. Yeah. Well, we always appreciate you taking the time to join the show. That's assistant men's basketball coach Jason Williford at UVA. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD on the fan. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, new rule on 910 The Fan on Fridays. 
We Roll, broadcasting live from River City Roll in Scott's edition. Don't call River City Roll just a bowling alley. It's one of Richmond's top entertainment spots, live music, Fridays and Saturdays. I'm always checking out this place for brunch as well. It's 10.30 to 3 p.m. on Sunday. Head to River City Roll today and tell them AWOD sent you. Joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, he's made it back from Vegas safely to host Grant and Danny. It's Grant Paulson. What's going on, Grant? AWOD, you got me ready to go bowl, eat some brunch <laughs> right now. Let's Dude, go. what is? how is your bowling game? Oh, it's horrible. Oh. <laughs> I, I do love the bowl, though. Yeah. I, I, so my, big, I haven't done it in a long time. One time in college, like as a bit, we joined the league and just hung out and like <laughs> drank and did did that for like Thursdays or something. But uh, yeah, I'm terrible at it. I uh, I was a kept the gutters out for like way too long for too many years, <laughs> you know. And now I, I think if I bowled tonight. I would, what do you say, shoot, roll? I would probably accumulate about, like, 83 pins. That would be my guess. Oh, boy. You got to break 100, Grant. Michael Phillips was talking a lot of smack because he's from the middle of the country where all they do is bowl. And then we had a bowling challenge. It came down to the final frame. I believe I won by only three pins. It was was electric. It was great radio. And so we're going to be doing a bowling challenge again. So, uh... But good to know we should have you on the list of people not to invite to a bowling challenge. <laughs> I want in. I could be like the preliminary warm-up match before you take on the real difficult challenges, <laughs> the ominous matchups afterwards. <laughs> like all the college football teams, right, that take on like a small school yeah, and beat I'll them be up. Your, and... like directional Michigan or like Florida, <laughs> you know, some other two words after it where you open with me, you're favored by like 52 and a half, and you get ready for your week three matchup. I love it. All right, let's get to the commanders here. And uh, I want to start with this. You know, we were both at Radio Row in Vegas five straight days, and it was awesome. You know, we could talk for days about you two and, you know, the blackjack table. But did your interviews at Radio Row change your mind at all about Dan Quinn and Cliff Kingsbury? Not necessarily. I mean, look, all the conversations I've had since they hired Dan Quinn, by and large, are positive. I mean, certainly I, I bumped into some people, whether it was at Radio Row, on air, off air, whatever, that feel the same way I do, which is, you know, the, the results are the results, right? And, and it wasn't a particularly inspiring hire, but I don't think there's any, like, changing minds at this point. Like, my opinion is based on how his tenure in Atlanta went, right? So I know he's an exceptional human being by all accounts. I know he's a leader of men. We knew he was going to put a good staff together. I think he's exceeded expectations specifically on defense in that regard. Uh, and I would say the same thing about Kingsbury, right? But the, the bottom line is that his offenses were not great in Arizona. His offenses have never really been great. The idea of him is really good. I'm not down on either hire as it pertains to saying like they're bad hires. I was whelmed. I felt okay. I feel pretty good. I'm, I'm intrigued by Cliff Kingsbury. You know, the Dan Quinn thing, I, I, we, we beat this horse, but uh, you know, I it just wasn't my guy. Uh, that having been said, it's not a bad hire by any means. So uh, it's gonna it's gonna come down to a couple things. First and foremost, the quarterback they drafted to being good or not. If they draft a star and the guy plays his butt off, and Drake May turns into Justin Herbert or Jaden Daniels turns into Lamar Light, then Dan Quinn's gonna be a savant, and everyone's gonna think he's a great coach. And Cliff Kingsbury's gonna get a head coaching job. If those guys struggle, it's not going to work. So that, that's the main thing. 
The other thing is the Adam Peters operation, right? I mean, Peters yeah. has to hit on draft picks. He's got to hit in free agency. The Rivera-Marty Party trio batted like 157 on their transactions in the draft and free agency. Peters needs to hit a lot closer to you know, 500, 600, and if he can do that, they're going to be in a good spot. Grant Paulson from Grant and Danny that you can hear right here on 910 The Fan after me from 3 to 6 p.m. He's on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. So I'm calling this the second chance staff, right? Dan Quinn's second chance. Uh, Kingsbury gets back to the NFL. And now when you look at you know the rest of the coaches that they filled out the coaching staff with, there's a lot of second chance guys. What do you think of the entire coaching staff for next season? I think they did a really good job with the coaching staff specifically in layering it with veterans who have been there before. You know, Anthony Lynn on the offensive side of the ball. Um, even though he's never been a defensive coordinator, I love Joe Witt Jr., what he's done in the secondary with Dallas and Green Bay years ago. Third stop with Dan Quinn. I think he'll do a really good job. But then also some of the youth, guys like Daryl Tapp, who are recent former players, Ryan Kerrigan, you know, who yeah. can ascend – into position coaching roles in some cases or coordinators eventually on offense you know the sneaky great hire that i loved was david blau who played quarterback in the league until this past season uh, to be their assistant quarterbacks coach and to just be in the year of whoever they drafted number two you know to me that you know jacoby Brissett was invaluable for sam howell well david blau is going to be that guy he's just not on the depth chart you don't have to pay him player money um, so I really thought that was a good hire. Keeping Tavita Pritchard around showed that they did their due diligence and really dug in on the incumbent staff. Who did they like? Who didn't they? Who did a good job? Rather than just blowing everybody out. Uh, there's a lot of experience, there's no doubt, on both sides of this staff. But you know, on offense, you've got Kingsbury, who struggled as a head coach. Now you level him down to coordinator. Brian Johnson struggled as an OC and a play caller. Well, you demote him and you say, you're my pass game coordinator. Like I think that's smart. People are down because someone struggled in a role that they don't have anymore. It, just because I'm a, if I'm a bad radio show host in the middle of the day doesn't mean I can't do something late at night or on the weekend or help you out in another way at the radio station. So I think that they put together a really, really good staff. I'm excited about that. Uh, now they got to hit on the quarterback and, and get to work here ahead of free agency. Grant, let's break down Ryan Kerrigan real quick. I mean, assistant linebackers coach, pass rush specialist, just an all-time good guy, one of the best interviews, uh, a great player for the commanders for a long time, obviously knows the sport. But how have you heard he is as a coach on the defensive side of the ball, and what do you think his future looks like? Like, how high could he rise and how quickly? Well, look, he was very popular with the room last year, no doubt about it. I think what Kerrigan brings is really important right now, and it's what leagues tre- the league is trending toward, right, and teams are looking for. He is a liaison of sorts between the players and the coaching staff. Uh, he is able to bridge that gap in terms of relatability. Guys really respect recent former players who have kind of been in the foxhole with them. So him saying something probably has a little more value than, say, Jeff Scanina, who was a longtime player and a respected coach. But Ryan just did it. You know, you, you got to turn on the film from two years ago when you played the team you're playing Sunday, and you'll see Kerrigan rushing the quarterback and winning. So I think that's important. He was also a good pass rusher. Not necessarily like – I wouldn't say he was like a well-over skill guy. He was a mid-first-round pick, so he had talent. But, I mean, he – I think just as a pass rushing specialist, going over film, teaching guys how to study – teaching guys how to set up tackles. I think that's a, a really good role for him 
What's the ceiling? Like, we'll see. I mean, from an X's and O's standpoint, I've never really chopped it up and, and talked real specific, like, scheme and philosophy. But a guy like that should be able to be on a track to ultimately become a coordinator when you start as young and as early as he did. It might take some time, right? I mean, look at Joe Witt Jr., 17 years in the league before he got his shot. He right. says he's been ready since 2015. But <laughs> I would say Kerrigan's on a fast track. Look out for Daryl Tapp. I've heard really good things about him, the D-line coach they're bringing over, who played on this team when I was covering the beat. I mentioned Blau as kind of a fast-rising star. Like Those types of guys that are just super cerebral, they're going to move quick. So the Commanders have the number two overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. I want Caleb Williams. I want them to find a way to get up to number one. I may not get Caleb Williams, so why don't you give us a breakdown. Get me excited for Drake May or Jaden Daniels at number two. Yeah, first I'm adamantly against trading up. Not that you asked that, but I want nothing to do with that. I would actually hate it uh, more than anything. They've done this offseason probably. Now, having said that, I wouldn't like stop my feet and have a fit. I mean, if Adam Peters and this staff deem that that's the move, then you got to roll with it. I just think it would be a, a bad decision, and, and track record says it'll blow up in their face. Having said that, if they stay put at two, and now you're debating between May and Daniels, I think they got a really good chance to get an outstanding quarterback either way. Uh, it's going to, you know, one of those guys is probably going to become a star. The other could bust. So you got to pick the right one. But the profiles with both are pretty appetizing. You know, Jaden Daniels, Heisman Trophy winner in the SEC, electric skill set, dominated some really good teams. People think he just runs. He actually is a really quality passer as well. Um, my, my pluses for him are, you know, you think you've got him hemmed in. I was watching his game against Alabama today, and he's just never, the play's never dead. Like, you're like, oh, this will be a yard or two. And next thing you know, he's ripping off 16, 17. It's, it's the dream. <laughs> it's what you're looking for in the league. You see it with some of the real great weapons at quarterback. The downside, I think, is he's kind of one read and run. He does not really go through a ton of progressions. Nobody threw more open passes beyond 20 yards in college football statistically than him. He was often throwing to wide open receivers down the field. Both of his top two wide receiver targets are going to go in the first round, uh, and those guys just won one-on-one a lot on the outside. So that's a concern. He's also very skinny. He's like 6'4", but there's not a lot of meat on the bones. He takes some huge shots. The frame bothers me a little bit. And the last thing I would say is his pressure to sack percentage analytically is brutal. You know, that's the stat we, we look at now with Sam Howell in college. That was a precursor for him holding on to the ball and taking sacks. The good news is Daniels is a little more apt at getting out of the pocket and avoiding some of the pressures. But when he's pressured, the skill of a quarterback is to not allow it to become a sack, and, and that's been a struggle for him. Flip side real quick on Drake May. Prototype 6'4", 225, straight out of central casting. It's what you build in a video game. Huge arm. He's one of five quarterbacks in recent college football history. It'll go in the first round with 40-plus big-time throws in one season. Some of the other guys on that list are Mahomes, Allen, Joe Burrow, right? I mean, that him and, and Jameis Winston, that's the entire list. Uh, he's got a huge arm. He makes awesome throws. He stands in the pocket and makes plays. He's mobile. He can scramble and create with his feet and extend. He, he reminds me a lot of Justin Herbert in college. Um, the downside to him, his numbers weren't very good. His production wasn't great. You know, his teams lost games to teams like Virginia and struggled with bad ACC teams. I'm, I think that was a lot about who was around him, to be honest with you. But he just never really played like a superstar. So you worry about that some. I also think there are some questions with him on some of like the uh, completion percentage accuracy stuff. 
But uh, I don't worry as much about that. I, I think some of that can be coached. And also, I think when you look at you know his games, the, the box score does not really always look the same as the performance. Uh, go back to the Virginia game specifically. There were five drops in that game. Everyone says he was so bad in that game. I don't think he had enough help. Grant, we love you taking the time, man. Thanks so much. All right, buddy. Be good. Yep, that's Grant Polson from Grant and Danny. You can hear them right after me on the fan at 3 p.m. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for VCU basketball. And it is a game day. The Rams are on the road in St. Louis. I'll have you covered with the pregame Extended pregame show starting at 6.15 tonight right here on 910 The Fan from our flagship studios, Sports Radio 910 The Fan, while Robbie and Rodney are in St. Louis for this tilt against the Billikens. And joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Clean Hotline is Rodney Ashby. What's going on, Rodney? Oh, not much, man. Sitting right here across from the ballpark in St. Louis, watching it snow a little bit and getting ready for what the Billikens call the Blizzard Whiteout game, which is what they do for VCU when we come to town every year, and it usually fills up O'Shavet's Arena. Rodney, I got to tell you, man, I, I miss you, big fellow, as I missed last game while I was in Vegas. Did you pick up a second job? I saw you on the call for Richmond UMass. <laughs> I did. You know, I, um, you know, Jay Burnham and I go way back when we used to call the games on TV for VCU, and he needed he needed a fill in for his analyst, so I did the uh, game for UMass on the um, UMass Richmond game the other night, where UMass pulled out the the big upset, Richmond's first home loss. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second because that really shook up the standings. Now you have Loyola, Chicago, and Dayton tied for first, Richmond in third, VCU in fourth, but the Rams control their own destiny. They hold the tiebreaker over Loyola, Chicago, and still have a game against Dayton and Richmond. Yeah, I mean, I think that. You know, this is going to be a tight race coming down the finish. Um, I think if you take a look at the conference strength of schedule, VCU's is, you know, I think second. And, and our last stretch of these seven games aren't, are not going to be easy. But I think that, you know, the Rams are playing well right now. We're kind of peaking at the right time. If we can keep playing that type of defense that we've been playing, you know, I think good things are going to happen for the Rams. So it's a big one tonight from St. Louis. VCU, the Rams against the Billikens. You know, wh- what do you think is the difference between this St. Louis team and the one that VCU beat uh, about a month ago? Well, I think they're starting to play a little better, too. I mean, Sincere Parker was the Oscar Robinson player of the week last week. I mean, he can absolutely fill it up. And then, you know, they've got that shooter, Jimerson, out of Richmond, Virginia, the hometown Richmond kid that um, I think, you know, the joke going around was that he's staying in, uh, it's playing at St. Louis long enough to play with his son, um, <laughs> kind of like Ronnie James type thing. He's been there so long. But he can fill it up. He gets loose. He gets, you know, quick, gets the shot off quick. And um, he can fill it up. And he loves to play well against VCU. So I think – those two guys are playing a little bit better. They just got back from their Philly swing where they played LaSalle and scored 102 points. Right. Um, and, and then they lost to St. Joe's, but they scored 87 points in that game. So, you know, we are. I think we're going to be able to score. The question is, are we going to be able to slow them down enough to get that come out with that W tonight? 
Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's what I think is the biggest difference between the St. Louis team that lost to VCU at the Seagull Center 85-61 to is that they've gotten better offensively as of late. You mentioned the 102-point game against LaSalle. So I do think it's going to come down to the Rams have to have another really good defensive effort. Good thing is they're coming off of a game and when they held Dayton to just 47 points. So it's going to be all about you know switching screens and having a high hand on guys like Jimerson. Yeah, and, you know, if you take a look back and look at the film of St. Louis when we played them the first time, it was kind of the coming out of Max Shulga's defensive, um, you know, yeah. in, increased defensive efficiency. Let's just call it that um, for for a good term. So he really took the Jimson um, matchup seriously, and then we switched him up so that he would get a couple different looks. We put everybody from Kwani to Zeb to – I mean, Michael Bell, we put a little bit of everybody on him the other last game, but it was really Matt Shuga carrying the majority of the weight. And I'll be curious to see, um, you know, who we match up with him today. Um, but Matt surely did a good job on him. It's Like I said, kind of the coming out for him defensively for the Rams. Yeah, and he's one of our three captains alongside Sean Barstow and Zeb Jackson. And Shoga leading the Rams in scoring this season. Uh, just under 15 points per game to go along with 4.8 rebounds, 3.8 assists, shooting an impressive 40% from the three-point line. Now, Rondi, there was some conversation earlier this week at the press conference about Shoga's shoulder, uh, but he should be good to go and be able to play through that pain tonight, right? Yeah, I would think so. Um, I mean, look, everybody's kind of banged up a little bit this year, I, this time of the year in on every single team. So um, it, we our bye week came at a good time. Um, so I think the fact that uh, we had a little bit more time off and a little bit more time for that to heal was a good thing. Um, but I know that he's practiced and he's ready to go. Every time uh, I look at the box score at a VCU game this season, the big thing that step, uh, you know, stood out to me has been the bench scoring. The Rams have outscored their opposing team's bench almost every single game. A lot of that is Joe Bamisil and Toby Lawal. I mean, you're a guy that played for VCU, Rodney. How crucial is it to look up at the box score and see 20-plus bench points every night? You know, I think that's huge because, you know, we, we basically what we're doing is we've got seven starters. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's kind of how Coach Coach Odom looks at it. And the fact that we can bring such a scoring threat off the bench in Joe Bamisell is, I, I tell you what, it is a luxury uh, to have that in your tool belt for sure. And I know that Coach, Coach Odom and his staff kind of look at the matchups, both who's coming off the bench for our opponents, who's playing more minutes. That depth has weighed people down. You even heard Coach Mooney mentioned it um, you know, in the post-game press conference when we beat them the other day, and you saw that saw Coach Grant tried to play less minutes, like Holmes, a few more less minutes in the first half, hoping that he would have the energy to go in the second half, trying to do that. That depth is playing playing havoc on some of our opponents, and there's, the conference notices it. But I know that the staff thinks a lot about how many minutes we can get these guys off the bench to try to get them effective. Rodney Ashby with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. You can hear him on the call tonight alongside Robbie Robinson tip-off just after 7 p.m. from St. Louis here on the fan. I did want to spotlight Zeb Jackson. You know, we mentioned there's three captains, Barstow and Shulga, and nothing against those guys, but I truly feel like 
Zeb has been the ultimate captain. The way he plays on the court. Like, this is a guy that was almost averaging 17 points per game in out-of-conference play. In conference play, his points per game has dropped off, but he's been more of a leader. He only has three turnovers in the last six games. That's been huge for the Rams, while also averaging more than three assists per game. So I think, you know, he's kind of really embodied what it means to be a captain at VCU. I totally agree. He's kind of settled into his row at his role, you know, in early in the season when we had Barristow out and some other guys injured or Joe not eligible, he had to play a different role. He was in more of a scoring role. And then when those guys became eligible and came back from injury, he knew that his role was going to shift. And as a leader, he took that and smiled and has no problem with it. I mean, he's the ultimate team guy. Um, and, and it's just he's always smiling. I mean, whether you're on the court or off the court, he's just always smiling. He's he's the kind of kid you want to see succeed. And um, I, I'm just so proud of him. And I tell you what, we're lucky to have him. You know, he transferred over with Brandon Johns out of University of Michigan, and we we didn't really know what we were getting. But I tell you what, we do now. And and he's been such a great leader and such a a key to our success so far this year. Christian Furman, I think he's going to be key to the Rams getting a road win tonight against Dayton. Just two of eight for five points, but all eight of the shots were very makeable, right around the basket. And I loved how, you know, early in the season it felt like he's hesitated sometimes with those shots. There was no hesitation, and he was going up against Deron Holmes. And so I just think Furman, keep shooting those short bunnies. They're going to eventually start to fall. Yeah, I think he needs to be a half a step in. And I think Holmes is pushing him out just a half a step to a step farther out than what he typically is more comfortable with. But I agree. Keep shooting him. We need to make those. It creates better spacing offensively when he can he can sink those and get in there and um, get those open shots. And they were wide open, too. So, you know, that was a scene that we found in that Dayton defense. And um, I think tonight, I, I agree, I think the bigs are going to have to play a big role tonight um, if we want to win. And then lastly, I wanted to mention Sean Barstow, who's just been you know, such a great point forward for the Rams. I mean, Rodney, can you kind of describe what it's like when you have a guy at, at that height be able to handle the rock and, and be a facilitator? Yeah, I mean, we really do have a luxury of anybody who rebounds it on the defensive end, except for LaWall and, um, and Furman, can dribble the ball up. But when you've got a yeah. guy like um, – he creates so many matchup problems um, because he can really get to the basket. He's more athletic than he looks. Just, I mean, he's he's just still coming into his own. He's not he's not quite a hundred percent yet. He is a kid that is a what they call a multiplier. Not only is he a good player, but he makes everybody around him better. And he that's why he's been getting all these assists. And he just puts so much pressure. Um, you know, on the defense by being able to get into penetrate and almost creates a power play type situation in the paint when he comes in because people have to come help and he dumps it off. And look, if I'm Toby Lawall, I, I love a guy like that, right? He's Lawall gets two or three dunks a game because of him. Rodney, good luck on the call tonight, and we'll see you next week. Uh, before we let you go, though, every Friday I broadcast live from River City Roll in Scott's Edition. How's your bowling game? Man, I'll tell you what, I love that place. I take my kids down there sometimes before it gets uh, turns to the adult side, and I, it is a good time and a great place to, great place to take the kids, get a piece of pizza, you know, get some pizza, and, uh, you know, of course, i got to show my kids who's boss in the household. 
Well, I'm glad that you're pretty good because we've been talking about doing a competition here at 910 The Fan. The two hosts, Michael Phelps and myself, against Robbie Robinson and Rodney Ashby. What do you think about that? Oh, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah? Let's, let's, <laughs> let's make that Awesome. We'll do it on a Friday when the, when the Rams are here in Richmond. That's Rodney Ashby. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD on The Fan.